You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio alongside Mike Chappell and Joe Hopkins, I'm Dave Griffiths, set for another episode of the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. Mike, we'll have our disco battle a little bit later on in the show. Promise? I've probably got a shirt like that from back in the day, (laughs) back in the Paisley days. But I tell you what you're talking about, the Andrew Luck thing, that's pretty cool. It's, yeah. We very, very seldom, with some players, get a look behind who they are. Mm-hmm. And, and that he can have fun with himself and at himself is pretty cool. And it's it's good to see players sort of lift the curtain a little bit and give you an idea who they who they can be. And Andrew doesn't always do that. He's very reserved when you talk to him pregame or postgame or weekly. But, but he does have those uh, very unique personality traits that come out in some very limited senses like this that you get to you get to peek behind the curtain as you say. and we saw this past year and some people took offense to it how he said he kept going back to i'm having fun again i'm really having fun and people some some people took offense to well it's not getting you when you're you're, you're no one in five start and you're having fun this he, he almost had his livelihood taken away from him mm-hmm. so he, he appreciates it and this is I think what's interesting about this this video we're talking about, what was I'm trying to think what the company was, was it Body Armor, his body uh, armor. his sports drink. What what it shows you is that he's got a decent off season. He's got a normal off season. Exactly. He hasn't had in like three years to where he can do what he what he wants to do, which is sort of take a breath as opposed to rehab, rehab, surgery and all this. So it's a good sign. You know, it's it's not gonna mean much when the season starts, but but it gives him a chance to be himself, to enjoy himself, to enjoy his girlfriend, fiance, whatever she is. I think it's all good for Andrew Luck. Another good thing for Andrew Luck is uh, something from the very last game of last season, playing the Chiefs in the playoffs, that Andrew will not have to face Justin Houston anymore, chasing after him, because he got him a couple times, that playoff game. And, well, uh, he, he's going to be donning a horseshoe this year, Mike. Yeah, now the only danger will be during practice. Exactly. Of course, Andrew wears the red jersey, so that shouldn't be an issue. But it's it's sort of if you can't beat them, join them. So th- this was the one we've talked on this in the previous uh, episodes. How they need to find that guy, uh, the pass rusher, and you find him two ways. You find him at the top of the draft or in free agency. And the top of the draft is where you hope you're never drafting again. But if you can find that guy who's a fit, and Justin Houston. If you look at his resume, it's it's what you want now. You'd love him to be 26. Right. But this is, to me, this is what the Colts are going to do in free agency. They're, they're going to find those short-term fixes. This is a two-year deal, $23 million, was it 18 and change uh, guaranteed. But but I think this is, you've, you need to have somebody who is the focal point of your pass rush, and that's what this guy will be moving forward. When Chris Ballard uh, spoke about Justin Houston in at the owners' meetings uh, just this week, he said he compared Houston to Julius Peppers. Not who, a bad comparison. Exactly, who the Bears signed uh, a while back. Julius was 30 years old, had 81 sacks in his career. Uh, Justin Houston is 30 years old, has 78 sacks in his career. So very similar comparison in that sense. Um, Houston has had a couple more injury issues than um, than what I remember, at least, from Julius Peppers. Um, but the one big difference between uh, between the Chiefs 
and now the Colts is the scheme. Justin Houston was an outside linebacker in a 3-4 scheme. He's now going to have to play a defensive end in a 4-3 scheme. Now, some people can't make that transition. Obviously, Mike, it appears Chris Ballard thinks Houston can make that change. And a lot of that is because you're you're in your base defense maybe 35% of the time. Right. So you're going to be in some form of nickel. And but no, they made it very clear that you know he'll have his hand on the ground some, his hand up some. I think what'll be lacking is they won't ask him to cover much. Which when you when you pay thirteen million dollars to a pass rusher, the idea of having him chase a receiver down the field is crazy. Hey, I, rem- not. I remember they the Colts signed uh, Chad Bratsky back in the day ninety eight or whatever it was ninety nine, and there were times they had him in coverage, which mm-hmm. is crazy. You're paying this guy that kind of money, so you're going to see them. We're going to focus on Justin Houston as being the guy who spearheads the pass rush. They want they want him to be one of the guys. Uh, they want to play with seven or eight guys on the defensive line, limit his snaps somewhat, not so much to keep him healthy, but just to keep him fresh. Mm-hmm. Chris Ballard said that ideally they want their defensive linemen to play what sixty sixty five percent of the snaps and stay fresh, not only for a game but for December January. You know, unless an injury pops up again, which you're always running the risk with that, this guy brings what you want. He's not the long-term fix. He's not going to be here in five years, I doubt, like Peppers played for a long time. You want this guy to get you to the next step, whatever that next step is. Maybe Teray emerges, or maybe you find a guy in the draft this year. But this is that bridge to get you where you want to go. And what, he had 11 sacks last year. Mm -hmm. Then he had two more in the playoffs against Luck. And I saw Pro Football Focus had him with his number of pressures high up there. So still a very effective pass rusher. And I think something that really should be uh, very welcoming for him here is the fact that he only has to play maybe 65% of the snap, 60%. If you're if you're the Colts and you're trying to sell him on that, that's much easier than if another team is trying to sell you on, hey, you're 30 years old, but we want you to be the guy, maybe play 80% of the snaps out there. That's going to wear you down a lot quicker. And for a guy like Justin Houston, who's had injury issues, anything that could maybe prolong his career would be a welcome option. And like you mentioned, the Colts, this is something that, that they have established that they want to do, is have one, like your starting defensive line, and immediately be able to bring in an entire second unit. And the starting line right now, you got Jabal Sheard, Mardis Hunt at the nose, Danico Autry at defensive tackle, Justin Houston at right defensive end. What also bringing Houston in, it allows the Colts to move Tyquan Lewis to the interior, which is where they Ty- said Ty- in the past Ty- they like him. Tyquan Lewis may be there ahead of Marcus Hunt. Okay. If, if they get their way, that's what they want him to be. And then Marcus, these guys are interchangeable. Jabal Sherrod's not. Right. Kamiko Ture is not. Mm-hmm. But, but everybody else is, is sort of inside-outside guys. Justin Houston's a is an exterior guy, but... They they really drafted Tyquan Lewis with the idea of being that three technique guy, mm-hmm. and Marcus Hunt would just played so well last year that they had it's to hard play, to take him out. They had to play him, which is a, which is a good problem. But now you've you've got maybe seven or eight guys just looking at what they've got back. It's a pretty good group, and it, that's it, depth. You you can never have enough depth because you're going to lose people along the way. Just you know, Tyquan Lewis they, he was m- missing for the first what was it? month, six weeks of the season with a foot it's injury. About six weeks, yeah, I think he was uh, PUP. And, and, that's, and that's where uh, Marcus Hunt emerged. But th- th- this just simply gives you another proven piece. Again, would you like him to be younger? Of course you would, but mm-hmm. that's that's not what, what you had. But they, they targeted him early on. Chris Ballard told us that 
they had some anxious moments because they thought they might lose him, but they got their guy at the right price. It's a good contract for both guys. You could say this is you could almost start say this is a one year deal. Yes, it is very close to because next year I think there's three million guaranteed or roughly four million dead cap if you walk away. Mm-hmm. But the idea is to have him here for two years and, yep. and get either then re up him or have him be that bridge to whoever that guy is going to be. So if the Colts do perhaps want this to be a bridge do you think this changes their draft strategy at all bringing in Justin Houston to me it's it's only a two-year contract so it's not that the Colts are immediately making this their long-term solution if they have their eyes set on an edge pass rusher at the end of the first beginning of the second round I don't think this move impacts their decision in the draft at all I, I agree I, I think he I think Chris Ballard is he, he, he pounds this home and people simply need to listen offensive line defensive line he, he believes that I'm convinced that he wants to get that some kind of a defensive lineman in that with that 26 pick, whether it's an interior guy, whether it's a an edge guy. I, I don't think you take a guy at 26 thinking he's going to be your your edge pass rusher for the long term because it's just hard to get those guys that far down. But it's a it's a deep draft defensive line wise, and if you can get a guy that can give you the versatility, I get a Jerry Tillery from Notre Dame, mm-hmm. which we talked to him at the combine as a you know, a, a, a great prospect. I don't think that Justin Hughes, again, this is a short-term fix. It's a short, it's a band-aid sort of. I don't think this impacts your, your, your draft strategy one bit. So staying on the defensive end, uh, we now have a few details of Clayton Gather's contract. We're able to, you guys are able to talk about that last week while I was out covering Purdue. But the Colts bring back Clayton Gathers. You, you weren't here last week? I was not here last week. No. My goodness, Joe, I forgot that. You, you guys made it, it work. It went so smooth that yeah. I Oh, oh thank it. you for that. Appreciate <laughs> it. Yeah, I, I'm expendable. Fine. Uh, one-year deal uh, reported $2.75 million, 1.25 of that guaranteed. Really short deal, obviously, one year. Really cheap deal. And very uh, more than half of it is in incentives. And the incentives are basically for being on the field. Staying on the field. Mm-hmm. That, that's what the Colts want from Clayton Gathers is to stay on the field. This is, this is so much like the Jack Muir deal uh, mm-hmm. last year where th- this is worth a little bit more. But it's basically stay on the field and you can be part of this team. And, and you know, I'm not saying that they'll walk away from Gathers like they did. You know, Jack Muir decided that his knee simply he wouldn't just hold up. Away, yeah. He, yeah, he couldn't. It got to the point that he that he couldn't do it. We're not there with Gathers, but it, 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 it's to me it speaks volumes that he got the one year deal, relatively inexpensive. He, I think he, a lot of us thought he would get a, a more uh, interest when he he visited Tampa and mm-hmm. Dallas, I believe, and nothing. So it, it, it's funny and and good, you know you hope you you really hope good things for Clayton Gathers because he's a really good guy does things the right way, you know leaves everything out there. But at the same time, it's 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 really kind of stark that that this is all he could get, and that just tells me that people, including the Colts, are concerned about long term viability. And if you can't stay on the field, this is the guy that's had the concussion, yep. he's had the neck surgery. And it's basically another one of those one-year prove-it contracts. And to be the Colts starter at safety and get this type of a contract to re-sign for this, it it tells me that I would be very surprised if the Colts don't take a safety in the first two rounds of this draft because I think that's one area that they are really light at right now. you got Gathers and Hooker, who are your starters. You've got Matthias Farley, who just gave a second-round tender to this offseason, so he's back for one more year. 
George Odom has seen some time. Um, More of a special teams guy. Exactly. You've had guys like J.J. Wilcox come in and out. But, but you need somebody else back there, in my opinion. If, if you're not confident that the Gethers can do it, yeah, you give them a one-year deal, but you don't want to just give them that deal and say, okay, it's done for this year. Let's not worry about it. Right. You're going to go out, and I, I think I would be, like I said, very surprised if the safety does not go to the Colts in the first two rounds. I keep tar- I keep, In my mind, I keep thinking defensive line, wide receiver, secondary. And you know, I thought maybe it might be a corner, but they're better set at corner now with, with bringing Desir back. Right. Uh, and he, like I said, even with Clayton Gathers coming back, they're not going to bring Mike Mitchell back. No, I don't think so. Uh, the, he won't come back for, for a minimum deal. But they're, they're really thin. And, and Chris Ballard's talked about it, how they need to address their depth or lack of it mm-hmm. in the secondary. Now, whether in his mind that's safety or corner, I've got to think it's safety. Uh, again, keep in mind that both Gathers and Hooker have had injury issues. Right. You know, Hooker with the, with the freaky knee as a rookie, and then he missed some time this past year. So, uh, again, I don't, bringing back Gathers doesn't solve anything. Mm-mm. Well, it, it, it gives you the it gives short you start. It, it, gives you, it gives you a start. But as far as what you might want to do in the draft, I think that's still high on the list. Yeah, you bring up corner. We'll, we'll touch that briefly before moving on. I just think, like you said, Safety seems like so much more of a concern to me right now when you look at the depth chart. Corner, at least you have Quincy Wilson, you have Pierre Desir, you have Kenny Moore, three guys that can start for you. Nate Harrison, you hope. Oh, yeah, exactly. Nate Harrison. I, I keep going back to that Oakland game last year just because I was there and I saw him get burned multiple times and got him put in the doghouse. But hey, it's a new year, so we'll see what he's done in the offseason. We, we were saying the same thing about uh, Quincy, Quincy Wilson, Wilson yes, the, year, we the year before. Yep, it's true. So it's, you can come it, out of the doghouse. Right. It's not permanent. Um, Chris Milton, who's a special teams guy who just got a deal. He's going to get a 53-man roster spot, undoubtedly. They signed Jalen Collins last year, a former second-round pick. So you still got him kind of just lurking there, a guy who has clear, clearly has talent to be drafted that high. So, so like we've said, I think safety is a more pressing concern. Cornerback still would not be surprised if they bring someone in there just to continue to bring depth uh, in the secondary. So. And, and one thing to keep in mind, like with the Jalen Collins thing, these guys are very, very confident in the coaching staff's ability to, to, to build from within and, and get these guys to improve by how, how they practice and how they approach things. And I, think, I, don't, I don't think it's wrong to say in the past that wasn't the case. How many times during the previous regime did we see players really not improve? Well, this past year we saw Bjorn Werner. Uh, oh, oh gosh, goodness! I mean, the John Smith. I mean, it, it's it's yep. it's it's one after the other. Uh, T.J. Green. Yep. So I, I think this past year we saw ten, twelve players where you say, yeah, I, I can see the improvement. You know, the Marlon Marlon Max mm-hmm. and people like that. So again, I, I I think they need to address the secondary, probably probably safety, but I think they like the the, the core groups that they had, but but they have to add to it. Maybe the best thing for the Colts secondary and uh, for secondaries around the league is the fact that Rob Gronkowski is no longer going to be terrorizing them. Gronk announcing his retirement after missing 11 games over the past three seasons, often played injured. You cannot doubt his tenacity or his fire or his toughness. And if you're a Colts fan, you cannot doubt his skill because you saw it over and over and over again. Mike, I've talked about this with guys back in the sports office. I cannot recall a player since Jerry Rice, that I have seen just run wide open in the middle of the field so often 
and catch the ball for being such a big name. He would go over and Tom Brady would find him and there wouldn't be a player within five, 10 yards of Rob Gronkowski. And then he'd take off for another 20 easily. Certainly that has to do with coaching to be able to scheme to get him open, but also the incredible amount of talent and the unique player that he was. I know that the Colts will not miss see, not seeing him on the other side of the ball. Well, they had like, he had like seven, six or seven touchdowns against the Colts mm-hmm. in six or seven games. Uh, I think he averaged 16 and change per reception, which was which as a is, tight end. As a tight ridiculous. end, which which is crazy. And, and I've seen clips people put on there that his blocking. He was a pr- premier blocker. Although that's that's not what you remember him for, right? Yeah. But when you get, I just the, remember him putting Sergio Brown into the stands right. that one game when he played. Poor Sergio. Us. Poor, uh, Sir, yeah, the, a poster moment. Yeah. yeah. But that, that's what that's what they're, and it'll be interesting to see how the Patriots recover from this because they also uh, Dwayne Allen's not He's coming gone back. Too, yep. Which you know he was used as a extra tackle anyway. But when you lose great players, it just you, it's it's harder to recover. They've done a great job in New England of covering up. You know, cha- exchanging marginal players. This isn't a marginal player. This right. is a, a generational talent. It's funny how Drew Rosenhaus, his agents, are already floating. Well, maybe he'll come back and play in December. Yeah, we'll see about that. We'll see about that. But you, if you're New England, you can't plan. You can't plan on it. You can't say, well, you know, we'll go with what we got, and then come December, Gronk will be back out there. You have to take the approach that he's gone. He's not coming back. But uh, I guess the argument's going to be is, is he the best tight end ever? The, the argument against that is we always think that the most recent guy is the best ever. Yeah. So you forget how, you know, John Mackey, I mean, really? Syracuse University. <laughs> Jesus. I, I walked right into you that. You did. Thank you, that. Mike. You teed it up. I hit it out of the park. <laughs> but, you know, the, the Tony Gonzalez's and, and Jason Witten's. Now, we could, I wouldn't argue Jason Witten is better than Gronk at all. Or Gonzalez, I wouldn't. I tell you, I, 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 could, I could make an argument for Gonzalez. But the only issue with Gronk is that he missed time, extensive mm-hmm. time. Does that? He's certainly a Hall of Famer. The question, and I'm one of the I'm one of the guys on the selection hey, committee. You vote. You tell me. Is, is he first ballot? Mm-hmm. You take everything into account. A lot of it will depend on who's who's also on the ballot that year. But when a career is when he's missed so much time, is he first ballot? Does he need to wait a year or two? It'll be an interesting. Debate a lot will depend again on who in five years is on the ballot with him. There's no doubt he'll get in. Absolutely no doubt. No doubt. Unlike, unfortunately, a guy like Edron James, where at least there's a little bit of doubt whether he will get in or not. Mike, I know you think he's going to get in. I don't want to turn this into an Edron James thing. I just want to make a point about Gronk. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Correct. No doubt about it. But if you're if you're asking for the best of all time, I mean Tony Gonzalez was great for a long period of time. 14 Pro Bowls, consistent, reliable, always productive, whether he was in Kansas City or Atlanta. And to be able to do it over such a long period of time and never miss more than one game in a year is remarkable, especially with a tight end. What you're asked to do is block and go out and be a wide receiver and get hit down the field as well by safeties that are charging at you. And, of course, 15 years ago when Gonzalez was in his prime, the rules in the secondary were not exactly as stringent as they are now. So he was taking slightly more big hits over his career, I think, than Gronk took. Oh, of course, Gronk delivered plenty of big hits in the secondary himself, as you've seen highlight videos of him just running over people. But still, I think Tony Gonzalez, for me, could be the greatest of all time. You brought up John Mackey, and I'm glad you did because I would love to talk to him, talk about him as well, being a Syracuse guy. But 
He, he, I, think I, I think I saw it took him 15 years to get in. It did. It took that's, which that's stunning. ridiculous. He revolutionized the tight end position in the NFL. It was, he became more of a pass catcher. He was big and fast that nobody had ever seen in that position right. before. A guy like him, a guy like Kellen Winslow back with Dan Fouts and that air attack with the San Diego Chargers. Those guys made the modern tight end what it is. Antonio Gates, another guy we haven't even talked about, right. who was maybe uh, on the front end of... Uh, a new uh, revolution of tight ends. Really, Tony Gonzalez was the first basketball player to go to the NFL. Gates followed up and did really just as well, um, or darn close to it, in my opinion. So, well, I mean, lo- locally we had Marcus Pollard, certainly right. not, not on their level. Mm-hmm. But th- this is a guy who was a basketball player at Bradley and turned into a pretty doggone good tight end with the Colts. Yep. Led us to Ken Dilgren, and then Dallas Clark had that nice run with the Colts. So. And what we're going to see, it's certainly it, to, to play off of the Gronk issue, is the importance of Colt place on tight ends. Mm-hmm. We've seen that it's going to continue with Ebron, Jack Doyle, and those will both be free agents next year. How do you, how do you approach that? But tight ends will always be a big part of Frank Reich's offense. I'm sure Eric Ebron would say we're only 10 years away, uh, 14 touchdown seasons from calling him the greatest of all time. So uh, maybe, maybe we'll cross that bridge when we come to yeah, it. Yeah, we'll see if he can get double-digit touchdowns <laughs> this year. I'm I, I'm dubious whether that happens or not. Staying in the AFC South, the Texans sign offensive tackle Matt Khalil, former fourth overall pick uh, in the 2012 draft. He started 82 games, played with the Panthers recently, played with the Vikings originally, but... Missed last year after a scope in his knee in September. So coming back from injury, you never know exactly what you're going to get. But the Texans could certainly use some help on the offensive line. Any extra time that Deshaun Watson gets to throw the ball is going to be a positive for that offense. Colts fans saw how Andrew Luck got beat around his first three or four years. Right. And that's been Deshaun Watson. I'm not sure anyone's been the last year or two been beat up more than him. Part of that's they're designed to how they get him and they run him Mm -hmm. as much as they do. Uh, but anything they do offensive line is going to be good because when you've got that guy at quarterback and then you've got DeAndre Hopkins on the outside, you've got to give him a, an opportunity to play. We'll see if they've upgraded their offensive line because it needed it. Former Colts cornerback Rashawn Melvin, he was with the team two years ago, signed a one-year deal last year with Oakland. Well, he's away from Oakland right now, now a deal with Detroit. One-year deal again, his fifth team in eight seasons. For a guy that's been – he's put together some good years, just – can't seem to find one spot to to call home. That seems to be the life of some journeymen in the NFL. You're good, but you're not great, and teams keep chasing the great. And maybe you're not the right fit because yeah, he, he, he had the really good year here two years ago, and then they switched to more of a zone defense last year, and they didn't think he fit. Uh, really a good player. It's all about, again, being the right fit. This will be a guy that probably plays 10 years with <laughs> five teams, maybe seven teams, but – uh, it, it's tough on the player to move from year from team to team, but it does show you somebody values them. Already looking forward to training camp at Grand Park next year. The Colts will be back in Westfield for their uh, for their preseason work, and they're um, trying to work out. Is it is are they just trying to work this out? I thought I saw it. Was it they just don't have a date yet, Joe, for this? I don't think they've reached the date yeah. in which they can make it official yet. Okay. But they've agreed to terms. Okay. To deal with the Colts uh, scrimmaging against the Browns is uh, is the uh, is the story. I, I might want to mention the team, you know, before. Uh, well, well, John Dorsey, the, the GM of the Browns, basically announced it. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be the, the three days leading up to the second preseason game, which, okay. is, which is like the second week of, of August. Okay. Which tells you then that the, the Browns 
will be the Colts' second preseason, preseason game. game. It's funny how that works. There we go. <laughs> so, and again, it's something the Colts really like to do. They've had, uh, remember the, the, the Ravens were in town last nice year, had that nice little skirmish. Oh, yes. Uh, or, or two. Uh, Detroit, the Bears. So they, they really think there's value in seeing somebody else after a week or 10 days in camp. And it, it, it's close for these guys. I think they'd like to make sort of home and home. Maybe then next year the Colts go to Berea where the, where the Browns practice. But it makes a lot of sense. And it breaks up the monotony of just beating on your own teammates. And so here's I, the thing about the Browns, too. Now, like, maybe in years past, you would have thought the Colts are bringing in a JV NFL squad. No, but no. Now, now the Browns actually have some talent over there. They're, they're going to provide a test. You've got two of the more up-and-coming up teams in the AFC. Yeah. Uh, both of these teams, there's going to be a lot of interest in it. And the Browns, you know, for what it's worth, they've probably won the Lombardi Trophy of the offseason, which that, you know, that in 20 cents will get you – Probably nothing. Yeah, not but, these days. <laughs> but but again, it, it's it's amazing how how the Browns have turned things around in one off season with, with some shrewd moves, and the Colts again doing it differently. They're staying sort of internally to, to, to get this in with a few free agents, but uh, should be an interesting three days at Grand Park. I, I like meeting the Browns too because you get Baker Mayfield, who's a young, confident quarterback. He comes in with energy, and so that's going to bring energy to to Westfield. You'll feel that in the fans. I'm sure the Colts will have to match that themselves. And also, he's a mobile guy. You get some work against a quarterback who's certainly more mobile than Andrew Luck. And even though Andrew's pretty mobile himself, we're more mobile than Jacoby Brissett. And you're going to have to chase down guys like Mariota, guys like Watson during the regular season. Right. So I, I think it's good work for the Colts in the preseason. So it's a great team to bring in. And I guess we'll see what happens yeah, at the beginning of August for that. Looking forward to that for sure. So the next big thing, I guess, on the Colts slate as – Free agency continues, of course, and Chris Ballard has proven that the first two days of free agency are not the extent of free agency in his Or not for him. Yes, that's true. Uh, that's what he wants to, wants to continue to work free agency. So I'm not saying the Colts are done in free agency right now, but looking forward to the draft. The Colts will draft near the end of the first round and near the beginning of the second round with the acquisition of the Jets pick in the trade last year. Three of the top... 59 right. picks. So um, so that's great for the Colts. And one player who I have seen on several mock drafts heading to the Colts is uh, Mississippi State defensive tackle Jeffrey Simmons. And uh, our Chris Hagan would love that, being a Mississippi State guy, Hale State, Cowbell, and all that SEC love. He will embarrass himself in the locker room if there's a Mississippi State guy. In oh, there. I know. He he already had Vic Ballard several years ago, and you, you, they were best friends yes. and all that. But I think they had dinner probably once a week. They probably did. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, Simmons has said uh, he's meeting with the Colts, so that's one player that you know immediately the Colts have some interest in, at least bringing him in to see what's going on. Um, he's He's more talented than being drafted at the end of the first, beginning of the second round. But, Mike, he tore his ACL while training in February. Before we get into anything else, that's where I have to start this conversation. Do you want to draft a guy in the first round with your first-round pick at the first round who's not even going to play for you for at least half the season? Half the se- no. <laughs> I, I, just, I don't think this roster is in position where they can use a first-round draft pick on a guy and say maybe we get something out of him in November. I just don't think you can do that. Now, maybe they do, and maybe that's one of the reasons he's meeting with the Colts at some level because they, this could be one to, to kind of check on his status of the injury rehab. But I just don't know how you 
you you invest as much as Chris Ballard values draft picks to use one that high on a guy and say, go over there and rehab him. We hope to see you, you know, mid-season. I don't know how they do that. Uh, again, I've got to think of ACL rehabs nine months. I don't know. I mean, yeah. so maybe he doesn't play at all this year. I, I, I think he's a great talent. He's got a great resume. But the, the medical issue would just scare me away. And then also there's the off-the-field issue. Yep, and uh, some quick details on that. Uh, there's an incident during his, uh, during his high school uh, career when he was a senior and a commit to Mississippi State. Um, referred to it as an effort to break up a fight between his sister and another adult woman that Simmons used physical force against one of those involved in the altercation. So um, school reports, Mississippi State says he's been a model citizen, but nevertheless, that's something that's, that's on his resume you, you as do well. Your, you do your due diligence, and it, was it a one-time thing? Right. And Chris Ballard's very, very open about, we'll look into it, and if we, if we think this is something was, was sort of isolated incident, then, then they can deal with it. If there's, a, if there's a series or a habit of this, They'll walk away, so they'll certainly look into this. Just just one incident is not going to completely take you off the Colts' radar, and I refer back to when Chris Ballard, again, was in Kansas City. Not that he had the same job in Kansas City as he does here. Maybe he has different opinions himself than what John Dorsey decided to do with Tyreek Hill right. in Kansas City, but Tyreek Hill had his own incident when he was in college, um, accused and pleaded guilty eventually to domestic assault and battery by strangulation, sentenced to three years of probation, anger management course, a year-long batterers program. So that's something that was clearly very serious. It sounds, just by looking at the situation, more serious than Jeffrey Simmons, and it's hard to compare, but just from the result of it, at least the legal system indicates that that's a worse offense. So... If, if that's the case, and if Chris Ballard was involved in bringing in Tyreek Hill to Kansas City, then just from looking at a past right. example, I can't say that this current example would completely dismiss or put Jeffrey Simmons off the Colts board completely. I would think the Colts, when you do when they do all their background, they will, they will be more concerned with the ACL than, than the off the field issue, as long as long as that was a one time situation. The ACL, from a football standpoint, would bother me much more than, and I want—I don't want to downplay uh, the the assault situation, but from a f- pure football standpoint, and, and using an early pick on him, the ACL would would be a red flag for me more. Yeah, and I agree. I think if if you think he's going to fall, it'd be hard still to take him at the bottom of the first round unless you think he is a top five, top ten talent, and. And that's set, and you th- and doctors tell you, hey, that this ACL maybe it's not that bad of a tear, maybe it's going to repair easily. Again, this is speculation for me. That if you have concerns at all about that injury, you don't take him in the first round. Maybe you take him in the second. Maybe you take him in the second. But still, Chris Ballard has hit home runs with second round pick, so maybe he'd still be adverse to taking him then as well. It's just, it's, it's hard to to say we're going to draft a guy with a premium draft pick. And wait and, and hope the ACL works out all right. It'd be tough to do. So assuming all the off-field stuff checks out and they're comfortable with that, what draft pick would you guys feel comfortable with taking a guy who might miss his whole rookie season? Uh, sounds like not 26, 34 sounds a little rich. Is 59 the magic number if he falls that far? I, I would say I would take him at 59 for sure. 
Um, that's that's definitely maybe I would take him somewhere in the 40s um, because I know that he's talented. He has he can rush the passer. He can disrupt the middle of the of the line. And that's incredibly valuable. We talk about edge rushers a lot just because the Colts have lacked edge rushers and seems like they need that more than interior. They have a couple more guys in the interior that they like or they have the past couple seasons. So um, but but interior presence is is super important as well. So, boy, I, I, I can't see taking him at 26 if, you, if you're going to miss half the season. Maybe they do, and maybe I'm wrong, but 59 for sure if, he, if he'd fall the, all the way down to there. But again, Mike, if he falls all the way down to there, that probably means a lot of teams have a lot of concern about, about this injury. Right, right. and then, again, like we've talked about, how soon do you want to pull the trigger on that and, and beat everyone else? 59 maybe. Higher than that, I just, I just have a problem doing that when you want these guys to play right away and develop them. Now, again, the depth of the, off, or the defensive line, maybe you think you can do that, but such a premium pick, I, I would be surprised. And that's something Chris Ballard has said during, um, during owners' meetings uh, in, in Phoenix. There's a ton of great defensive talent in this draft on all three levels, the line, the linebackers, and the secondary. This is a primarily a defensive draft. So if you have other guys that are maybe even close to Jeffrey Simmons that fall to you at 26 – or fall to you in the 30s, or fall to you at 59, and they don't have this ACL issue, and you think you can develop them instead, then maybe that's what tilts the pendulum in the other guy's favor. That's, that's what's interesting. He talks about the depth, defensive depth at three levels. He thinks he can get a, a, a corner or a safety third or fourth round. You know, Can you do that and think that guy's going to be one of your top three? It's a deep receiver group. What it looks like, this draft – has maybe a handful of really quality elite players, and then it's pretty good depth on down. There's not that great receiver, but a bunch of good ones. That's why I think it uh, it, it makes more sense to get you a defensive lineman early and then try to get that receiver at 34 or 59, and then whatever, maybe the secondary guy with the other one. So the important thing is, and one thing Chris Bowden mentioned, is they have options. He loves the fact they have nine picks, would love to have more. Mm-hmm. Because like he said, that you know, he sort of goes on the theory that draft is like 50-50 prospect. Right. So if you've got 12 picks and you only hit 50, then you're, you're doing pretty good. Yeah. If you've got six picks and you, and you only hit 50%, it, it, it's a, it's a it's bad a draft for you. So uh, I go back to the one, his one quote at the combine where he said, I, I love them draft picks. So it's going to take something special for them to maybe move up to get a player that, that they're afraid won't get to him at 34 or whatever, maybe at 26 to move up, but I doubt that. But uh, it's going to take something special to have them get rid of draft picks because that's what they want that the basis of the roster to be. That's what they did last year. They moved up for Taekwon Lewis in the second round. So they right. moved up. if you move up, if Chris Ballard gives up draft picks to go get somebody with a little bit higher of a pick, you know he wants them. He wants him badly. He wants him badly, and he's afraid he won't be there. Right. If you wait a couple of picks, you know, he, he mentioned that the worst feeling you have is when you get you you see the guy dropping to you, and, and then and he you goes. Think. You think, and then he's, he goes a pick or two in front of you. Where if you'd given up a trade, given up a fourth or fifth round pick, you could have gotten him. If they see a guy that they really like, like a Taquan Lewis, they will move up to get him. So now we'll talk a little bit more about owners' meetings. Jim Irsay, of course, down in Phoenix, along with Chris Ballard. And, Mike, a story that will not die until Peyton Manning has a job. And maybe even then it would still keep talking if that job is not at West 56th Street. 
Uh, Jim Irsay, while he's talking at owners' meetings, talked about meeting with Peyton Manning, about possibly returning to the team several years ago as president or general manager. It was in 2016, 2016 when yes. they were here for the— uh, Three years ago. 10th anniversary of the Super Bowl. Yes. And after the after the— they all got together. Jimmy and Peyton went back to the complex and sat and talked. And it was all about, you know, I'm, I'm sure, I don't know how it, how it started, but eventually got to, uh, what do you think about being, you know, coming back as a GM, as a president, running my operation? Now, this is before Chris Ballard right. is brought in. And I don't know what Peyton's initial reaction was. It, certainly, he didn't accept it. But but then they moved on, and he, he still approached him. Moving forward, now, what do you think about this? We would like to have you do it. And it all came back to the idea that everyone's convinced that Peyton will get back into this at some point. Right. In some form or fashion. He just has the itch, you know. He, that he has the itch, he, he, and it's sort yeah. of what he is, sort of. But he's got the family right now. The, the, the twins are seven or eight years old, and he's very much involved in, in their daily lives. So it's just not the right time. Uh, but it, but it was really obvious that Jim Irsay was serious about this. They sort of their their relationship took a little bit of a detour when they had to let Peyton go in 2011 after 2011, the 2012 off season. But they're, they're tight. They they still are. And uh, Jim Irsay was very serious about gauging Peyton's interest in coming coming back and helping run this team. I think w- what you have in Peyton Manning from Jim Irsay's perspective is you. You know everything about him. You know his work ethic. You know his football knowledge. You know how much he will give to this job. And if it's somebody you bring in from outside the organization, sure, you think you know what you're getting, like with a Chris Ballard, which has turned out to be, I think, pretty darn good for the Colts. But with Peyton, you know what you're getting in terms of everything he's going to put in and the qualities that he brings. So why wouldn't you want that in your building in some role or the other? Right. Well, and and that's why, again, I think whether Jim Mercy put the hard press on him to try to get a decision. And at some point, Peyton just said, no, it's not the right time. Right. And then they moved on and, and I don't want to say settled on. Then they went out and got Chris Ballard. Now, w- whether anyone thinks there's an open door that if Peyton walks in tomorrow and says, hey, Jimmy, I'm ready to go, I don't know how that would those dynamics would work. Now, you'd have two alpha dogs in that front office with Chris Ballard and mm-hmm. Peyton Manning. And I, not that they couldn't work together. But at some point, the buck has to stop with somebody. Somebody it can't. Yep. It can't. You can't vote and have a one-on-one tie. No. So whether that could work out, I don't see how it would. But what's important, though, is they still use Peyton Manning as a, as a sounding board, as counsel. Uh, they they approached him on, on the Frank Reich. What do you think and all this? So mm-hmm. the the one thing that that kind of impresses me about Chris Ballard is he doesn't have to be the smartest guy in the room. And it's to me, it's important to him to have guys around him who are not yes men. That if they if they give a good reason for something, they'll do it. He's reached out to Peyton. They've talked before, and I don't think he's the, the least bit intimidated by the presence of Peyton Manning. He embraces it. Jim Irsay's done a great job of of bringing players back. Robert Mathis, Reggie Wayne. He reached out to Jeff Saturday to to, to work with the offensive line and. Same thing with Peyton Manning. It just wasn't the right time. So we're out of practice during the season, and every week it seems like there's a player or two mm-hmm. there, whether it's a Gary Brackett, whether it's a Cato June was in training camp last year, I believe it was, or in, in the offseason workouts as a volunteer. So 
Edron James was at a, at, a, at a game in Houston, I, I believe it was. They want these players around to, to kind of show, you know, to sort of remind these the new players what it used to be and what, maybe what it took to get there. So I think it's impressive that they that they still want to they want to build moving forward, but they want people to realize what it took in the past to get this franchise where it was. Now, Chris Ball is certainly not shying away from the quote unquote older generation that was all of ten years ago of Colts. So um, he he has said that he welcomes them. He wants their input and he wants them to be there. He wants horseshoe guys in the building, as as we lovingly say, Mike. So um, so expect to see them around, even if Peyton Manning doesn't have an official role with this team. He's going to come back for different things from time to time. Well, it's funny is when he's there, whenever he's back, he, he gets back here probably I don't know three or four times a year. Yeah, for for you know for the hospital and for charity events, and a lot of times when he's back in town, he goes to the complex and works out. It's funny. Players will be in there and they're working out, and then Peyton will come in and work out with them. And then that player will send out, you know, photos on Twitter that working out with Peyton Manning. So he, he's always in the building when he's back in town. So he, he, there's always going to be a place for him here. How it would work for him to come back now as part of the front office? It's tough for me to see, but they will never sever ties with Peyton Manning. Do you think there's a chance that he could have some kind of coaching role, like an offensive coordinator, or do you think it's more of a front office personnel type role for him? Jim Irsay mentioned he didn't think coaching was what Peyton wanted to do. It was more of a front office. He wants to sort of get a hold of a team and build it and and mold it that way as opposed to coaching. I've always wondered how a a player of Peyton's status, kind of like a – remember Larry Bird and people like that, how do you coach people – and not try to hold them to your standards when very few people are on your standards. So, but Jim Irsay mentioned we would be more of a front office or some type of ownership role that Peyton would be more apt to get as opposed to a coach. I agree, Joe. I, can you imagine a quarterback trying to like go back and forth with Peyton Manning in, in the QB's room? I, I just think that would be difficult. And not, not to say the guys are not – Guys are not wired for that because these uh, every NFL quarterback is a special breed. You're one of the 32, 64 best quarterbacks in the world. And I know that's not me. That's just maybe how I think that I could never talk back to Peyton Manning in a quarterback room. Maybe those guys could, but that would be that would be challenging to me. So I think it may be easier for him to get into an ownership role just in in that sense. You get what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. I was just wondering since, you know, he's all obviously an offensive wizard and yeah. was pretty much a coach on the field. You know, your first thought is maybe he'd be a great coach, but that's a good point that you bring up. I mean, I even remember reading about stories of his current players who wouldn't stand up to him, and, you know, he would go into their hotel room and kick them out to watch film. They'd be like, okay, yes, sir, <laughs> and just leave. So that's a that's a good point. Some guys can do it. I mean, Frank Reich, former former quarterback who who, who, who was a – Quarterback's coach for a while here, and and, and has been a, a great coach moving forward. But Peyton's a different bird. I just I just don't know how he would adapt and, and accept the fact that whoever he's working with can't do what he did, because it's it's hard to to get it's hard to tolerate when guys can't do what you think they should do. I think it'd be difficult for him to do. Well, maybe. Uh, something for Jim Mercey to look at down the line for sure. Right now, uh, Ursay just talking at uh, ownership meetings. Um, there was something that he said that I wanted to that I wanted to touch on. It was talking about uh, dealing this specific offseason, this free agency with uh, with Chris Ballard. Now, this is um, 
I think this is from the Indie Star, who is following uh, them in, in Phoenix. Unfortunately, we're not there because we're covering uh, on the road with the NCAA tournament just with our resources. And, of course, I'm back here as well. But uh, in, in the Star, Ursay is talking about telling Ballard about a particular player. He says, hey, you go get him. I want to give him unfettered and want to give Ballard unfettered approval saying you be aggressive and I got no problem with that. Let's get this guy with a horseshoe on his helmet and get him in our camp. But at least in this instance, Ballard wasn't ready. The contract was too big. The risk was too severe. He watched the player sign elsewhere. Um, let's see. And then Ballard goes back to Ursa. says, you know what? They went to this number and I just couldn't do it, Jim. I couldn't do it. Um, what, what does that tell you about the relationship between Chris Ballard and Jim Ursay, just listening to, to that story that, that Ursay told at owners' meetings, Mike? It's, it's kind of funny because you've got an owner saying, here, here's the money. Yep. Because Jim Ursay, one of the quotes when I went back and looked at is he said, I told Chris Ballard that over the next four or five years, I want you to invest a billion dollars of my money to get talent. <laughs> and so you've got an owner that says, here, spend. And the GM says, I will, but to a point. And it just, whether I get the impression it was either C.J. Mosley or Preston Smith and Landon Collins that they really wanted. Yeah. And then the number got to a certain point and Chris Ballard says, no, we're done. And to have to show that kind of restraint when you know. When the, your boss says, go do it. Right. And again, can you imagine if, you know, being a teenager and your, your parents say, here, you know, go out and do something. Yeah. Expensive and you do it. Here's money for a convertible. Right. And you go out and you buy a Volvo. Right. Right. So, but it, it just shows you that, that Chris Ballard is doing things his way. He's going to stick to it his way. And what he'd like to have had, you know, theoretically, a, a Landon Collins at safety, of course, for $84 million. And was it $45 million guaranteed? No. Yep. no. So it's it, it shows great restraint, which and it, it really tests, again, the fan base's patience because they, they want that splash. But he's he's got... He's told us, and he's told us that we want players on our on our terms, on our price, and if it gets above that, we're walking away. And this is a couple of instances where he went, you know, Jim Ursa says, if you want the guy, go get him. Mm-hmm. And in the past, guys would have done that, yeah. and we, we've seen them do that before. Uh, we won't mention all the names in, in the previous regime, but, you know, the, the, the players, the Art Joneses and Ron Landry's and – we would need an entire podcast to discuss the list. Correctly. And, but that just shows you that it's, he's showing great restraint, and to this point it's worked. Now, whether you know, in the end of this year we're thinking, boy, you, could, you should have paid that money because they, they could have done it cap-wise and cash-wise, but it would have thrown things out of whack because one thing that also they talked about the owners' meetings is they've got this coming off season next year, there's 10, 12 players mm-hmm. free. Yep. Costanza, Big players, important players. Costanza, was, is he your left tackle? If he is, you have to, I think so. I mean, for the, for, for, for the future. He's 30, 31. These guys play into their mid-30s. Yep. So if you're convinced that he's your left tackle moving forward, then you give him that contract worth $12, $13 million a year. Mm-hmm. Both your tight ends are going to be up. Jabal Sherrod's going to be up. Uh, your punter, Sanchez, is up. So they really, really want to focus on re- retaining your players who deserve it, the Vinatieri's, Desir, Mark Glowinski, people like that. Uh, and to do that, you need to have the cap room. And to go out and sign a Landon Collins or C.J. Mosley or whomever, it restricts what you do later on. So they've got a plan, and 
to his credit, Chris Ballard is not deviating from that. And that's what the difference is between Chris Ballard and the just generic Colts fan who certainly wants to see a splash in free agency, wants to see them go for it this year. You see, oh, they have $90 million, $80 million in cap space. Why don't you go out and sign Landon Collins? Well, because that means next year, maybe you can't get Anthony Costanzo. Maybe the year after, you have difficulty with Tico Autry or T.Y. Hilton and Ryan Kelly, those guys. And, and, and they they may try to get you know they also talk they, they're going to get they, they may get some extensions done this summer right ahead of time and in my mind that's Costanzo and it might be Ryan Kelly instead of giving him the fifth year option they may go ahead and get him to a long term deal those are two guys that we should certainly be watching for uh, Marlon Mack would also come up the year after next I don't think they're going to be working on his contract or uh, Anthony Walker Jr.'s just yet who would come up the year right. after but Kelly would be the one I would think. Uh, that's two years out that you you really have your eye on. T.Y., I think you'll cross that bridge when you come to it. Autry, you'll cross that bridge when you come to it. But like you said, instead of the fifth-year option for Ryan Kelly, maybe him, and uh, that's the guy that you might be looking out for with a, with a deal this, this offseason. Th- those are not the big splashes that you make when you bring in nope. the D. Fords or, or Le'Veon Bell, but, but it's your players, mm-hmm. and you know them. There's less risk involved, and if you're going to pay the big money, do it to people you're more comfortable with. But that, that's, again, something that, especially on the offensive line, with the considerable jump we saw it take last year, and Frank Reich has said he wants an emphasis on the running game. He wants to be a top-10 team in rushing in the NFL because he saw that that's, that was the recipe for success when he was in Philadelphia that won the Super Bowl several years ago. People think about Nick Foles, who won the MVP. People think about Carson Wentz. I mean, he won the Super Bowl MVP. Think, think about Carson Wentz, who had a tremendous season. But that running game with uh, LeGarrette Blunt and Jay Ajayi and uh, Wendell Smallwood and Darren Sproles was the catalyst that got them to the Super Bowl and ultimately helped them really win it. So he, wa- he wants to be a strong running team, does Frank Reich. And if you want to do that, you want to sign Ryan Kelly to a long-term deal. Because this, this, this offensive line was just at its best when they get that those five guys together, and Ryan Kelly was out there when they, when he missed a few games, there was a dip. But the offensive, I always say that people need to keep in mind. Yes, Quentin Nelson was a great player, All Pro. Braden Smith really stepped in and played right tackle. This line took off and solidified when Costanzo got back at their left tackle. And you don't worry about who, who you've got over there because he he's got things in hand. They didn't have to give him much help. I have to believe in my mind, that, that they think Costanzo is the long-term answer, and he's, he's doing extension. One more note that I want to make before we wrap things up is something else that Frank Reich said at the owners' meetings. He was, talking, he was asked a question about the receivers and just kind of how they, um, how they, I guess, fit in the offense, whatever. And he says, I don't want to hear what we can't do. That's almost not allowed in our building. Uh, he thinks that they can get a lot out of this group of receivers. T.Y. Hilton, number one. He was apparently a fan of Devin Funchess. Uh, and then Chester Rogers, Zach Pascal, Deion Kane, Marcus Johnson, Darice Fountain, Krishan Hogan, Steve Ishmael. If you go down the list really far. You had to put Ishmael in there. I always have there. to put Ishmael in there. He's my boy. He broke <laughs> Marvin Harrison's Syracuse record. Yeah, I got to yeah, put yeah, Chief move on. Yeah, move yeah, on. yeah, I know, I know, I know. But anyway, Frank Reich seems to really like that group of receivers. Nevertheless, Mike, I think you and I are both on the same, the same boat that they, they will probably draft one uh, in this draft and try to get him worked into that top five somewhere. At, at what point do you do you again? I think Ty will get a second another contract from these guys. Yep. But at what point 
in your in your roster building, is it time to look for his replacement? Is is this about the time that they went out and got Reggie Wayne with Marvin still here to sort of groom Reggie to be that guy? I think so. Again, we had this discussion two weeks ago about Dontrell Inman. You sort of talked me off the ledge about bringing him back. I still think I'd, I'd bring him back. Okay. And if he beats out Chester Rogers or Pascal or Reese Fountain, so be it. Yeah. Now, they, they want Deion Kane to be see what he can be, but – I would bring back as many guys as I could and let training camp figure out who the best people are. But I think that group, it, it, it will include a, a, a rookie a rookie receiver out of the first three rounds, I think out of the first two rounds, because I think you can only scheme so much on your receivers and then talent takes over. And keep in mind, Funches, as much as I like him, he comes with issues as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll see where this goes, but... I just think they, they need to upgrade that entire group because it's there, there's a lot of ordinary talent in that group. And I'm, I'm, if, if that comes across as a slap, I, I'm sorry about that, but with the Pascals and the Rodgers and, and people like that, I, are they at their ceiling? Is, is that the best you're going to get? I think there's going to be a couple of receivers not yet here in training camp that will open some eyes. Training camp, always the final say for that. 53-man roster cut down at the beginning of September. Next big thing for us, Mike, now that March is coming to an end, when April comes around, you get the first OTAs of the uh, the offseason. You get the first signs of life at the uh, Colts complex. I think the, players, they, can, they start April 15th. Yep. So it's it's amazing how quickly it turns around. What offseason? Here we are. And then the, uh, the NFL draft, of course, at the end of April. Plenty of content upcoming. Uh, on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. You can follow the Colts Blue Zone podcast on Twitter, at Colts Blue Zone. You can follow Mike Chapel on Twitter, at mchapel 51 You can follow me, Dave Griffiths, on Twitter, at DaveG underscore sports. You can follow Joe Hopkins on Twitter, at Roto Street Joe. Is that correct? That's correct. My man. There we go. Colts Blue Zone podcast. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you next time.